Welcome to Le Pep Scientifique, 11 minutes. My name is Bart van Buchem, I'm your host, and with me today is Sarah Walwick. Sarah is mom of two kids. Uh, she is based here in Adelaide, UniSA. She works as a research fellow, and she did a PhD with Gian Dominico uh, Ionetti and Lorma Mosley, and was on the defensive reflexes, um, a bit on the the protection paradigm, I guess, and um, she's uh, currently she's uh, working, and her interest is mainly on kids. So she made a bit of a journey yes. <laughs> from one to the other end, and um, it excites me really much to have you here. Um, you were also on master sessions and uh, presenting some of really exciting stuff you've been working on. So um, we're honoured to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. I'm gonna hit the 11 minutes. So uh, we're going to have an 11-minute um, conversation on this podcast. We will extend after that for access to this extended version. Just sign up on lepopsiontifique.com and you will, can see us uh, for another couple dozen of minutes. And uh, um, hopefully, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be really exciting now. So I'm just starting. There will be an alarm just to warn you, Sarah. At the 11-minute <laughs> like mark. On the 11-minute mark. All right. will be, so we just have to wrap it up a bit but we can extend once again. So, um, yeah, let, let, let's just start in. And I just suggested to combine the worlds you have been working on uh, over the last two decades, I guess, five, now five, 10 years at least, 10, 12, 15, yeah, 15 years. Yeah, probably like 13-ish years, I reckon. <laughs> so uh, where it all started with um, your PhD on very much the protection paradigm and defensive reflexes. And I thought, well, how does that relate to children? Because that's where your work is at the moment. Yeah, and really. pain, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah really interesting, um, I guess, in terms of, so I guess I'll talk a little bit about my PhD first. Um, so I was looking at this concept of uh, defensive peripersonal space. So that's this idea that we've kind of got this bubble around us that we protect. Um, so things coming towards us, we've kind of got this radar. Um, so things obviously don't hit our head in particular. Um, and so I guess in terms of measuring this space, uh, mm. we use this paradigm called the hand blink reflex. So um, we uh, stimulate the median nerve at the wrist and then we collect eye blink responses through EMG. And essentially we move their hand into different positions. Um, and what we find is that when the hand is close to the face, we get this heightened blink response compared to when the hand is further away from the face. Yeah. So you, you, would, argue, you would say that, that the closer something object is, the more defensive you get. So your bubble yep. suit will getting bigger yep. <laughs> once things or yeah it's, it's their own hand yeah okay, so it's yeah. their own yeah, hand, hand yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's really interesting because so we did a few different experiments around this and when the hand is coming towards the face so if we're in the, like this movement paradigm mm. then even if it's far away but it's moving towards the face you also get this upregulated response all right so it's got this kind of predictive um, ability as well um, so yeah, so there's now some further research in this area. Um, they've looked at people with trigeminal neuralgia and they know that, notice that when on their affected side, they've got this sort of greater protective bubble around mm. the painful side compared to the non-painful side. All right, let's try to link it into 
kids in pain <laughs> as a mum of two, but also your research interest is starting to become more towards pain and kids in, in, in is it in general is there a more specific angle you have in this area? So my particular interest at the moment, which is still growing, um, is really, I guess, it's been brought on by seeing my own young kids um, and sort of thinking, oh, you know, I'm a pain researcher. <laughs> I should know, like, how do I respond or react to their, mm. to their, you know, painful experiences to try and facilitate this, you know, them to have this good understanding or like helpful understanding, I guess, um, of pain and injury as they grow up. Um, and I sort of didn't know what we should be doing. So I, that's sort of how I started sort of getting into this um, research space. So yeah, so my real interest is looking into how can we respond and communicate with kids, you know, even using their everyday experiences to really try and encourage them to develop this sort of, um, I guess, modern understanding of pain as much as they can within mm. the context of, course, yeah. um, of little developing humans. So from this paradigm of protection and perhaps neural representations and how, how does that evolve with kids? Is there, um, is there a different set point than, yeah, compared to, well, let's say kids to other kids, for example, is, it, is, it, is there some research done or some knowledge about it? That's a really good question. I, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. And I, look, I don't actually think necessarily, well, I'm not aware of research that's looked specifically into how that develops in kids, but I guess um, my best guess around that would just be that as kids are developing, you know, they're getting, they're developing these sort of movement paradigms. They're starting to understand, you know, the, how I guess their body moves and where they fit within the relation to other objects in their space around them. You know, that can even be things like, you know, if I think of my kids, my son, for example, who's now six, but when he was, uh, you know, crawling around, he was forever bumping into chairs. He just seemed to have really poor spatial awareness around his head. And to be honest, he still does. <laughs> he's the one that still knocks his head on the kitchen bench because he's standing up and didn't think about it. Whereas my daughter, on the other hand, she has hardly ever had those experiences. Like, you know, she's got really good spatial awareness around her head. Um, and, you know, why are the two different? I don't know, maybe, maybe that's sort of something that's innate. Maybe that's something that they develop as they get a bit older. Mm. I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I guess yeah. the answer would to there, that. Would there be specific, more specific conditions where it is actually more like a predictor? Um, for developing chronic pain on a later age, for example? Possibly, like I know, like these early years are really important um, in terms of, you know, I guess the people they become, um, in terms of what they're learning. Um, and, you know, we know that the brain is developing, particularly sort of years five to six, and then again in adolescence. And so experiences that kids have in these early years is really setting them up for learning health and well-being outcomes as they get older. So what would you consider as a, like a, a negative predictor in terms of early pain experiences in the childhood or later developing or issues with 
or an ongoing pain condition? Yeah. So we know that like um, in like procedural pains that if kids undergo painful procedures where their pain is either not managed at all or it's poorly managed, that they often will go on to experience pain sensitivity or they're more likely to, they're higher risk of having pain sensitivity as they get mm. older. Um, and then other, I guess, uh, things as, as during childhood. So we know like chronic stress um, and traumatic experiences in childhood can also, I guess, lead to vulnerabilities in, in outcomes as they go into adolescence and adulthood as well. Yeah, so more specifically as a parent. So when <laughs> your five-year-old or six-year-old is, well, whatever happens, but they might, they fall and they, they cut their, their, their knees and they got injured. And so what, what, what makes it either more traumatic or potentially harmful for kids on a later age in terms of as a, the role of the parent and how, what's, what's the ideal coping in that situation? Yeah, so, so we don't know for sure, like no. the, what's gonna, I guess, what kind of experiences are gonna lead to that, I guess, in the future. But we did recently do um, a Delphi study which I think I spoke about in master sessions, um, where we asked a bunch of experts from around the world. So we had, um, we had educators, we had uh, child psychologists, we had pain researchers, we had child development, we had someone from like an attachment-based mm -hmm. background. Oh, yeah. um, and we had, oh, what else we had? We had a resilience expert as well. And we basically asked them what did they think, um, what, what, could, what were the key messages and how best do we communicate these messages in sort of younger kids to really build resilience um, and promote recovery for the future. And the, I guess the key things that they really highlighted is that we can use these everyday pain experiences, falling over in the playground, grazing their knee, bumping their head, um, to really talk about how pain works um, so, you know, that there's multiple things that can contribute to pain. Um, pain is, you know, mm. helping us to protect our body. Um, but then we could also do things like making sure we're validating their pain. So, and this is a really common thing that's seen in adults as well um, with persistent pain. You know, someone, you know, validating their experience. Um, so with younger kids that might be getting down to their level, you know, saying, it's okay and really, I guess you can talk about the experience that they've just gone through so that, you know, they can really understand that we can see that this is what they're going through. Yeah, so there's this, the, the both ends, right? So or either you said there's no, oh, don't, don't even think, don't even think about it. It will go away and the, the no attention <laughs> and there's the over attention. I was, oh my God, what's happening here? So do, do are there, would you argue that one of both are not right to do so? Is that, I feel like I'm, I'm a parent as well, so yeah. <laughs> I do have to feel sorry for choosing one or the other side. Yeah, and certainly like in the playground, you'll see some parents will say, get up, you'll be right, move on. Yeah, be um, tough and move on. Yeah, and look, we don't really know what the best thing to do is. So with our Delphi, mm. it was just what I guess these people recommended. Mm. And I think also, It'll depend on the, like a lot of it depends on the child. 
Um, you know, everyone's going to be different in the relationship with who that is. But I think, I think, uh, having also spoken, I guess, to people, um, adolescents or you know, adults as well, I guess one of the things that really comes out is validation. Um, so I think at the very least, you know, recognizing that they're having that experience. And there's our 11 minutes. We're done. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, we can, we can, we can, well, we don't have to keep going. going <laughs> yeah, we can quit going on it. So validation, that was, well, that was, well, it feels like common sense though, but I think it's sometimes very hard to find what, it, what does it mean to be validated? Yeah. What do you, what is actually you have to do as a parent to validate? So, and that, that differs per child perhaps. So yeah. one needs a bit more validation than the other. Yeah. yeah, and look, some kids will also like over-dramatise well, what we would consider to be over-dramatising relative to what's going on. Yeah. And I think we just also need to, you know, every kid and their experiences, like different experiences are going to be different again. So, you know, I guess we can validate, but maybe if they're going a bit over the top, what we would consider they're going over the top, you know, you can also just provide a bit of reassurance, but then slowly try and distract them and maybe try and promote some active coping strategies. So what can they do to, you know, to help their ouchie or whatever it is, whether it's go get a wet cloth and, you know, put something on it or whether it's going and get a Band-Aid, covering it up and then going, look, it's all covered up now. Let's, you know, pull your trouser down. It's all protected now. You don't need to worry about it. Let's just go off and play. So, you know, try and, yeah. I guess, really promoting those active coping strategies in kids from an early age um, so that they can take that with them and getting them involved in mm. that decision-making process as well. So what do you think we should be doing um, with this one? How, how do you think we can do this? Or if they engage with something that is helping, really kind of talk to them about and say, oh, that was really great strategy that you used there. That was um, brilliant that you just, you know, you went mm. off and got your Band-Aid and, you know, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, I think there are many people, like or parents at least, uh, who appreciate this uh, as a part of, because you're always looking for what is. So give me a strategy. And <laughs> usually, when you 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 you're, you're grab this strategy or trying to sort of cope with the strategy, it usually helps in the first place. But it maintaining yeah. it because there will be other situations where you feel like, oh, I'm doing still the right thing. Um, Oh, this is really good. I think it's a nice take home, like validation in the way you have been describing it. It's really helpful. Um, and I think it gives, it makes sense a lot, but um, it's challenging as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is There, it is really challenging because all kids are going to be different and there's going to be no right or wrong specifically for each kid. Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, and all parents are different as well. Um, but look, I think there's a lot more research that's happening in this space now, you know, looking at broader um, exposures, different social contexts. Um, certainly there's some great work by Melanie Noel coming out um, with her group that's looked at, you know, how pain is portrayed in kids' media, like um, movies. So, you know, that's also really interesting. Um, Interesting work. That's, that's really well. yeah. So we had Melanie Noel here at Lapup Scientific as well, and very soon, depending on when you're listening listening to this podcast, it will be Joshua Pate and Haley Leake are also active in the field. Yeah. And uh, closely, you know, reference. Yeah, you're working together, so it's it's good to 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 work on yep. this space. It's getting a 
more and better interest. So yeah, it's good to hear where things are heading now. So we're going to wrap up the podcast for now. Thank you for listening. And um, we're going to extend a bit for people uh, who signed up for lepopscientific.com. So you can um, watch and listen to us um, exploring the ideas of, of pain and kids and problems. I want to hit get a bit into pain memory if you like um, which I found really interesting concept um, and um, yeah we will explore it and you can see it on thepopscientific.com so thank you for listening for now so see you next time thank you Sarah